Brands, we need to talk. It's time to start texting your customers. Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform, has the most advanced SMS marketing solution to reach customers where they are on their phones. Yotpo enables brands to build unbeatable targeted SMS experiences to create customer connections and drive revenue fast. Visit yotpo.com, that's Y-O-T-P-O.com, and get personal with SMS marketing today. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick, and today we are very lucky to have Henya Bolos, the head of growth at Modern Milkman, a Manchester-based business that delivers convenient groceries from independent and local suppliers directly to customers' doorsteps in returnable and reusable packaging. This uh, brand checks all the boxes for us on D2C in that it's disrupting a space. Uh, it's got a it's got a great brand. It's got a great product that helps local businesses. We're super thrilled to have you here, Henya. Uh, can you start a little bit with explaining the business model and how it's different than some other grocery delivery companies that our U.S. listeners may be more familiar with, like Instacart? Sure, absolutely. First, thank you so much for for having me on the podcast, Eric. I'm a huge fan. Listen to it frequently, and also. Um, one of one of your most loyal newsletter readers. So I'm driving your your click through rates love it uh, through through the roof there. But yeah, lovely to be here and, and chat with you today. So a bit about Modern Milkman. Um, I think is is probably most helpful for me to start um, with the story of our founder Simon because it's it's really kind of impressive and exciting the way he sort of built the business. So. Um, Modern Milkman started with with him getting inspired by seeing David Attenborough's Blue Planet film and and really seeing just the scale of of the amount of plastic waste and the impact that that's having globally. And one of the the key stats there is that the UK is is behind the US in terms of being the the second biggest um, producer of of plastic waste at a kind of individual level. So a big problem to solve there. And he started by looking at, you know, what are what is one of the areas where people end up um, wasting a lot of plastic, and that's in their kind of daily grocery uh, essentials, and, and milk being the key thing. So internally, we kind of talk about milk as as the Trojan horse, so to speak. And he started by buying a milk round. So for the listeners that may not be um, familiar, maybe a bit younger, the milk round um, is is a concept um, that has kind of existed for a long time and, and particularly popular in the UK. And basically a local milkman who, you know, partners with a dairy and builds up his own milk round by canvassing a neighborhood and supplying that neighborhood with kind of fresh groceries and produce. Um, it was a pretty analog system and, and really uh, Simon kind of saw an opportunity to disrupt that and and make it modern and digital. So the goal of the business is to kind of um, deliver, you know, feel good, convenient items to the doorstep um, and in in fresh ways to return and reuse our packaging. So it's all about shopping ethically and feeling good about, you know, convenience as well. So everything in our range is is plastic free. Um, It's a bit different to a kind of on-demand grocery model because we deliver up to three times a week. So it, um, the, the benefit of that is in terms of kind of better, we're better able to kind of manage our supply chain um, and drive efficiencies in that sense. But it would be different from kind of, you know, an Instacart in the sense that you're, you can't choose 
exactly the time that you want to deliver. But we do offer a lot of flexibility. Um, you can kind of edit your order up to 8 p.m. the night before and choose from kind of three delivery slots a week. And I think because of the nature of our products, we have, you know, about 60 products in the range, which are kind of your staple items. Um, people are better able to predict their needs on those items. Um, and that's also helped us scale because it's kept, you know, the complexity of the business um, low and enabled us to kind of um, have mass appeal because the products that we are providing are, are things that people use every day and are also high frequency items. So that has really helped us, you know, build the business um, and, and achieve the growth that we have. So I think it's what I kind of love about the, the brand and what really, you know, drove me to want to work here is that we're making sustainability accessible. Um, and I think many I think for many people, you know, the most sustainable products, the organic products are, are sold at a premium and a luxury. Um, and our business model makes, you know, it's, it's for the masses. You know, 87% of the UK still drinks milk. Um, we also have kind of plant milk for, for those who, who are into that. Um, but it, it basically helps, you know, helps you make more sustainable decisions every day. Um, and it's quite a, a tangible thing you can do to reduce your plastic waste. Because plastic, it's plastic. it's a it's a real afterthought. It's it's literally something you don't think about it while you're buying these things. You only look at you only see it after you've already made all these choices, uh, and they accrue in your recycle box or on your counter. Um, and then you think, okay, maybe next time I wish there was a better option where I didn't have to do this. But you sort of get when you're when you're just going back to the grocery store week in week out, you just get trapped in these cycles that you can't you can't, you kind of can't get out of, um, in terms of the amount of plastic waste you're creating. Exactly. And one of the, the stats I love is to date, we've saved 13 million plastic bottles from landfill and counting. So um, we're also trying to make that savings tangible to our customers. So they kind of feel the, the benefit of um, and feel good about the service as well. And even just down to it being not fully on demand that you've got these these milk runs with these scheduled delivery times, that's going to save in, you know, things like carbon emissions or, or they, whereas like with Instacart, you'd have people driving to and from individual houses for individual products that people buy. Uh, with this, it's all kind of done in, you know, on the circuit, it sounds like. So that's another added benefit to your your sort of you know, environmental footprint that you're creating with this. Absolutely. And we are, we're also kind of researching, constantly researching, you know, new packaging solutions, um, uh, items that are, are not typically sold in glass or reusable packaging. We're trying to develop things in-house um, so that we can you know, further expand the range and also expand baskets as well. How big is things being local to the consumers uh, as part of the sales pitch as well? I imagine with these specific kinds of products, produce, milk, um, baked goods or things like that, like people feel good about buying locally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our messaging is, is really focused around primarily independent suppliers. So we're working with kind of independent UK dairies and farmers or, um, or suppliers for things like our bread uh, or eggs. And that is really important because I think people want to feel like they are supporting, um, supporting, you know, independent farmers and and helping, um, helping drive forwards and an element of the economy that has been suffering. Um, and you know, dairy farmers have been under increasing pressure from price competition, um, and you know obviously changing consumer habits. And we're, by partnering directly with those independent suppliers, we're also helping ensure they get paid a fair price for their product. And that has been a really important hook for customers. Um, and when, when we've tested that messaging, um, we've definitely found that it's it's helped drive conversion and, and help drive adoption as well. 
Very cool. Um, I'm just looking at your background here and you, you've been in the D2C space for, for quite a long time. Uh, worked at some really prestigious brands with Marks and Spencer. Um, I'm curious, what was it that, that really drew you to, to Modern Milkman? And, and what have you, talk, just talk a little bit about your background and, and what drew you to Modern Milkman. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, so as you mentioned, I've, I've been kicking around kind of e-commerce and direct to consumer um, for majority of my career for the past kind of um, seven or eight years and worked at really large brands, MS being one of them, to kind of smaller um, startup brands, most recently at, at a footwear brand based in London. Um, and the what, what really has kind of been the constant thread in my career has been a passion for kind of combining you know, my skill set and my interest um, with, with a, a desire to want to work for companies that are, are making a difference and making an impact. And um, whether that's, you know, through, through their business practices or through the product they sell or through the impact they have. So that was really my key driver uh, for joining Modern Milkman, but also the, the team and the ambition, um, the, the growth that, that has been achieved over the last year, kind of 12x growth between 2019 and 20, and another uh, on track for another 8x this year. There's just there's so much energy. It's clear that there's product market fit here, um, and the team is is super hungry and ambitious for that next stage of growth. But also kind of united in that in that in delivering that growth. That means we also deliver that higher level of impact. Um, so it's been and and also for me, it's a great opportunity to to combine a lot of my different kind of skill sets. I'd say when I started my career, I was kind of very much a generalist, um, kind of done in, done an MBA. So I, I have kind of a, a sort of finance, commercial, strategic grounding. Um, and then, you know, working in e-commerce did a range of things from kind of site optimization and trading through to kind of digital marketing and, and working you know, with product teams and to understand how to optimize, you know, your customer facing experiences. Um, and then in this role kind of, which is, is much more focused around growth, it's how do we combine all those disciplines to really um, create um, a role, which is super exciting for me because I can impact so many different stages of the customer journey and, and so many different KPIs with, within the business and also work really cross-functionally, whether that's with, you know, our brand marketing team or operations team to deliver, you know, the right kind of growth. Very cool. So speaking of growth, that, those are some impressive numbers, uh, 12x uh, in the last little while, imp very impressive. Talk a little bit about what have been the main levers of growth for the company? It's been, has this been a big word of mouth uh, growth business? Has it been done a lot through ads? What's What's been sort of the growth strategy to this point? Yeah, it's, it's super interesting for me because I'm uh, most of the companies I've been in have been primarily kind of uh, focused on digital marketing. Um, you know, the last two roles I was in were, were heavily reliant on on Facebook for kind of scale and customer acquisition. Um, it is it's reverse and it's similar to how our kind of our um, proposition is old is old school in some ways. Our, our marketing tactics to date have been, they've been largely reliant on kind of direct sales, um, direct mail and face-to-face -face sales. And, you know, before kind of coming today, I was on the show today, I was um, reflecting on why, you know, why that is. And I think, um, I think because it's a doorstep delivery service and the customer, you know, the customer has that element of, of nostalgia and having someone knock on their door to deliver it, that, acquiring customers in that way is almost a natural fit and has has made for an easy kind of sale and entry point um, the other kind of reason for 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 scaling in that way is that because we in order to kind of operate a milk round we need a level of, of density and utility in our kind of fleet 
we have to acquire customers that live in close proximity to one another. And so geographic precision is super important to all of our, our marketing channels. So we, you know, we're not at the stage where we can leverage channels that, that can't be super targeted. Um, and we're, we're testing and scaling, you know, digital channels um, in a way uh, with, you know, really precise uh, geo segmentation or, or bid optimization around where people are kind of uh, where people are located to help drive and, and simulate that same utility we've been able to get through face to face. Um, so so coming into the business, my role has been very much to, you know, keep the, the foot on the pedal of what's working, but also start to explore new channels um, that can help deliver that next stage of growth and scale. Um, because, you know, one of the challenges with with face to face and direct mail is is that they are less scalable because they're reliant on people um, and you know digital channels have a bit more of a ceiling. So that is you know one of my kind of key tasks for the year is explore and leverage new channels and, and get our digital our digital mix up and running. I really well dive I've done a fair amount of like different geofencing and and, and there, there are real challenges I think when you when you do have to use digital techniques and and, and carve them up very specifically um but let's talk about the let's talk about uh the organic growth the the direct mail for instance how this got started the way you know uh, we we for a while had a, a food box um delivered to the company and they were constantly sending us here give this coupon for three other food you know food boxes to all your friends and I think that for all these the food box wars that's been like a major driver of growth um, is, is, is that kind of strategy. What kind of things have you employed on Modern Milkman? And can you go a little bit more in depth about what, what the direct mail program looks like? Sure. So, so the, with direct mail, we've definitely done a lot of testing around messaging um, and formats as well. And actually what we found, um, we tried kind of glossier, you know, more um, kind of branded materials. And we tried kind of a more of a simple letter, which had, um, it made it feel like it was coming from a real person, and that actually has has far outperformed the other variants. So, things things like that have been really insightful because you know, in coming from a digital background, you're always thinking kind of creative first. But um, it seems in 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 our world and with the customers we're trying to attract to the business that they they're really. Um, they are kind of more focused on the core message of the business and really understanding the proposition and feeling like it is a, a truly kind of independent, um, you know, partner that's coming into the neighborhood to supply them with this, with this great new proposition. So that's been a really interesting learning. Um, with the face-to-face -face sales, we've, you know, we're, we're, it's interesting because there's less data available, obviously, because you're again dealing with people in the field. But we've we've done a lot of testing around you know different um, commercial models with our partners, um, how to incentivize um, the right kind of selling behavior. So we found that you know in the early stages, um, when we were rewarding kind of our, our sales force based on average order value, it led them to you know upsell. Um, upsell customers, which actually in the long term led to higher churn. Mm. So we changed that commission model to then look at, you know, if we actually, if we KPI them on retention and, and get them to find a kind of better fit, stickier customer, that's actually better for us long term than the customer kind of spending, you know, a bit more in their first week and then degrading over time. So it's been a lot of trial and error. And I think the, the key thing for us as a business is that there is this openness to, you know, a high kind of risk tolerance and a high um, uh, willingness to kind of fail. And I think that's really important, especially when you're building a growth function, because you have to throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks and your team has to be empowered to kind of, 
to to make mistakes, to to throw a lot of ideas in the ring, and that kind of underlying culture has been really important. And and as we kind of approach that next stage of growth, where we're scaling digital channels, that same that same culture has to kind of be at the core of it. I I love that idea. Just the, the first of all idea of, of personalizing that email because if you know, especially with the brand is the modern milkman, you're going to get this person who's going to be making these rounds. Is it usually the same person, just like back in the old days? Uh, yeah, we we do have um, we do have government. We're recruiting our driver force, and it's expanding kind of daily. Um, for the most part, it is the same people. But as we optimize routes, it could be that you've got a new driver. So we do sometimes have to kind of you know be careful around around that. But um, you know we we are we are trying to create a really strong connection between the the drivers or the milkies as we call them and the customer because ultimately. The, the driver kind of holds 90% of customer satisfaction in their hands. Um, yeah. If they, you know, if they deliver the product, um, you know, in the right place, if they pick up the empty milk bottles, it's, they have so much kind of control over the customer experience. So we're trying to, through our technology and, and through the app, find more and more ways to connect um, the driver and the customer to build that relationship and help them, you know, almost be like a front line of, of customer service in some ways. Love it. Yeah. And then even in ways that you can integrate connections from that person. So they become the milkman, you know, they become that, that, that avatar, I think is a really great way to build uh, customer loyalty. And then your insights about not overselling on the first instance, because it's literally a product where in, the thing people hate most is throwing out food, that feeling of like not, you know, having too much food or, or, or having food go to waste. So I could see how that could potentially leave a, you know, a, a damaging effect potentially on the LTV of a, of a client if they were selling too much off the start. And and just back to face-to-face, when you mentioned like your face-to-face Salesforce, what does that actually mean? Does that, is this like a, is it like Avon? Is it, you know, do you, do you have people who become customers who then become advocates? What is your face-to-face sales strategy? Sure. So we work with a couple of different partners who have been you know really critical to our success um, and, and and they effectively kind of manage you know a, a workforce of, of salespeople who are knocking doors um, we we work really closely with them to make sure that we can give them really targeted areas um, we work with them to drive density and utility so that um, we make for every kind of new route that we launch we have you know a critical mass of customers on that route um, to help us you know drive the profitability of, of that route it's a, it's a key metric for us so they have really enabled us to be super targeted um but yeah it is you know it is what it sounds like you've got you know people canvassing areas wearing um branded kind of um branded clothing whether that's you know we're, we're actually testing different types of clothing to see if if a certain one kind of is is um helps helps the sales agents you know get a few more conversions through the door so it it the same principles that we'd apply to kind of testing within the digital space we are we're doing within face to face but obviously the data feedback loop looks very different because you don't have kind of your full suite of analytics to look at so you it is at the end of the day about you know managing people and, and having a really strong relationship with those partners to to make sure everyone's kind of aligned to the right goals and we're feeding them the right data. Um, and, and that's been a big part of it as well as making sure they have visibility of, of the data, the lifetime value, the basket mix, whatever that, that might be to help them you know, constantly improve their sales pitch. 
I was I was thinking about it, and it like I think you're the first brand we've interviewed that has a face to face sales team in this capacity, or that we've talked about anyway. So I think that's really interesting. And I was thinking about like with it being a novel concept, with with it being um, you know something that people can can recognize through nostalgia and probably understand right from hearing the brand. It's still something that takes just a little bit of explanation, a little bit of education, and with a face to face sales force, uh, I imagine that's a much easier process. Um, and I imagine you, you really get people, you know, into the idea of it at that time. I'm interested to, to pivot a little bit to your digital marketing and how, you know, we'll talk about geo in a second, but just in, from a story and education perspective, um, how do you make sure that people really understand what the modern milkman is through your, your digital ad programs? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for us, I think a key thing has been making sure the brand pillars come across in all of our creative. Um, so, there, you know, there are other uh, like milk delivery services in the UK, but what we want to kind of stand for is is plastic reduction and, and doing that in a way that's actually you know, lighthearted and fun for the customer. So they don't feel like, you know, they're being they're being made to feel like they're a big part of the, the problem. We actually just want to make it really accessible for people. So that the tone in terms of our copy, um, the way that we kind of use you know, video to help show the range of the product and also help explain, like help show how a milkman would deliver to your door, just helps make that, that process come to life a bit. Um, one of the areas I'm, I'm actually really excited about exploring is, is how we can start to um, you know, use some more interactive elements through tactics like lead generation, where we could have a, you know, a quiz around how much milk do you use to help people, you know, determine what the optimal subscription amount is for them, and then ultimately help help them kind of convert and, and hopefully stay stickier for longer because we've set them up with the right basket. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for us to kind of um, support customers through the onboarding journey um, and also through our through our creative and our tone of voice, you know, help bring across those important brand pillars around, you know, plastic reduction, but also around the, the kind of convenience element and and the nostalgia element as well. Nice. How are you finding your LTVs are from uh, your face-to-face sales versus uh, your digital your your digital ads? It's it's funny you said that. So um, our our kind of um, CTO who is a jack of all trades and crunching the numbers, probably as we speak. <laughs> um, he actually just, just showed me a table of our of our LTV by digital channels um, versus um, versus our face to face channels, and the data is about you know it, it's only looking back about a month, so there's there's things that we have to kind of um, look into in a bit more detail. But the um, the interesting thing is actually the LTV coming out of the digital channels um, is is a bit higher, about 10% higher than the face-to-face. So that is encouraging for me because it shows me that there's actually value in room to scale those channels. Um, it also shows me that that maybe there's a bit of a, a natural um, AOV that we can sort of push our, our face-to-face sales force to achieve as well. Um, because potentially, you know, in the way that we incentivize them or the way we work with them, you know, there's, there's tweaks, there's always tweaks that we can make to that, to, to, to ensure that they're acquiring kind of the best fit customers for us, but also, um, the, the customers that are, are kind of spending the right value to make the economics stack up. Nice. Um, I, I, I pulled out a, a quote, I think that you had actually in another, in another digital piece from a, from a previous job where you were talking specifically about, um, customer lifetime journey and how oftentimes we base all of our, our thoughts on, on what a customer's lifetime is based on their past purchase history and how that can sometimes get us into trouble. I, what, I'm wondering how you think about your customer's lifetime value with the modern milkman. 
Absolutely. It's, it's a really good question. I think the, I think in, in really every business I've been in, you obviously have, you always have a wealth of historical data. Some businesses are better at kind of mining data and, and giving you insights around that. But I think when you look, when you're always kind of focused on what has happened, you ignore the, the present signals that your customers might be giving you. Um, and what I'm really interested to do with, with the Modern Milk Band is because we have, because it is a subscription service and we do have the ability to see kind of recurring future purchases that are, are in a customer's basket. Um, it's, you know, what can we do to kind of, you, whether that's, you know, using our own, um, you know, predictive modeling or using our own analytics to understand, you know, if that customer has these two things in their basket, you know, can we look into the, into the future and predict that they actually look a lot like this cohort that's added, you know, that's added coffee to their basket and how can we then start to introduce coffee to that person a bit earlier? Um, and I think because, because of the way a, the kind of level of data that a subscription service gives you around, you know, that recurring purchase and that ability to kind of um, almost introduce things to a customer at the right stage, it could be a you know, really powerful lever for us. So um, there's also a lot of, you know, customers can make one-time purchases with us. So how do we, as we start to expand our range, make sure we can kind of successfully introduce those, those one-time purchases in the mix. But um for, for me, in terms of, you know, how I'm looking at, at lifetime value, given we are a fairly new, new company, we have, you know, probably a year of, of cohorts to analyze. Um, and, and that is, you know, we need to be open to the fact that that is a fairly kind of young data set and it could change and it could give us different insights as, as you know, are the customers that have, that have been with us for a year kind of age. So I think we also need to be mindful of the, of the needs of a more kind of mature customer um, as opposed to a new customer. And, and also I think one of the interesting learnings for me is that we see a lot of differences based on, you know, the geographies that we're in. Um, and that could be, you know, we're younger, more affluent areas, higher proportion of alternative milk drinkers um, versus maybe older areas, a higher proportion of whole milk because they're, you know, they're, you're used to drinking that. It's, you know, something that's, that they've always kind of purchased. And how do we also read those signals to say, you know, actually we're seeing that this area that we've just launched in has these three characteristics. How do we then, you know, take that information and build it into our, our, our upper funnel strategy. So, you know, potentially tweaking our creative, um, to better kind of match the demographics of that of that um, customer pool that we're going after, um, and and overlaying kind of you know other other data points and sources, so um, using kind of demographic profiling on top of that as well to help you know further refine our proposition. But there's so much um, there's so much data at our fingertips, which is fantastic. It's it's really one of the most data driven companies that I've worked in, um, and that that I'm really excited to kind of exploit in terms of our, our future strategy. What's your stack like for analyzing that data? Is that all, is that a spreadsheet system or do you, do you have a, another partner that you're using to, to kind of assess that? Yeah, absolutely. We have, we have a kind of data warehouse system. Um, we have, you know, a great team of, of BI developers and analysts in-house. Um, we have obviously using Google analytics, also using kind of apps flyer for all of our um, app attribution, which we've had a you know, really good experience working with them so far. And particularly through kind of the ups and downs of, of um, iOS 14, you know, their, their kind of solutions have been really robust to, to help us continue to understand, you know, our Facebook performance in particular. 
Um, and, you know, we're using kind of Tableau for visualization um, and we have some kind of some third parties who are helping us with um, with um, data modeling and kind of predictive an analytics as well. Um, so, and so, and that kind of stack is constantly evolving as the business grows, but I think the vision for us is that we have a, a truly kind of democratic approach to data and that everyone at kind of every level in the business has access to it and has the skills to kind of mine it, but that we also have, you know, experts embedded within teams to kind of help, you know, meet the data requirements uh, that that team might have. And that will be super important for me as I build the team out to have dedicated growth analysts who are kind of living and breathing, um, not only kind of the analytics and the event kind of led data around customer behavior, but then also the transactional data, the predictive analysis around what customers might do in the future. How are the smartest brands winning? They're using Perpetua. Perpetua saves hours of time spent in the weeds of tactical campaign management so marketers can focus on what really matters, strategically growing their business. Find out why brands like Crocs and Beekeepers Naturals trust Perpetua to accelerate the growth of their e-commerce businesses across channels like Amazon, Instacart, Walmart, Target, and more. Visit Perpetua.io, that's P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A dot I-O, to learn more about how they can help you grow. That's Perpetua.io. I just, I, I just had a thought occur to me. I remember hearing, and I don't, I don't know how accurate this is anymore, but I remember hearing in some marketing class or business class uh, about loss leaders and about how, uh, maybe this is specific in Canada or North America, but how milk is often sold at supermarkets at a loss in order to get people in because it's that staple product that they know people kind of need week to week. Is that something that, that you're aware of? And is that, is that, is that uh, something you guys take into account at all with, with your, your program? You know, so for us, it's it's not a, a loss leader, but very much a kind of the key to to unlocking customers because it's yeah, as I think I mentioned earlier about eighty seven percent of the UK drinks milk, so it's such a kind of commonly used and enjoyed product that if we can kind of convince people to buy their milk from us, there's a better shot at them buying other things from us. But it is interesting that you mentioned that because. I think that is one of the reasons why you know the dairy industry in the UK has had such a kind of challenging period over the last 50 years is because they are they are getting kind of squeezed in terms of, of pricing by kind of the big the big supermarkets um, and that has made it harder for them to kind of break even and harder for them to invest in their in their um, in their farms and their businesses and when there's kind of increasing pressure for farms to become kind of more sustainable and more uh, take on more regenerative farming practice, it makes it really hard for kind of the average dairy farmer when they're already, you know, making just a, a tiny margin to then to then keep up with the changing kind of standards and expectations. So we are really keen to help, you know, upend that model and make sure that, you know, these guys do have um, a livelihood and their their businesses are sustainable in and of themselves so that they can kind of, you know, invest in, in better practices for the future. So there is really that kind of um, 360 degree view of things within the company that you know, if we need to kind of value those supplier relationships for our business to scale and, and for us to continue to kind of have the impact that we want um, at a consumer level, but also kind of at, in terms of, of, of the, the supply chain the communities like that. Uh, there's so many businesses that we, that we talk to that have a great story and great packaging and maybe their products solve some problems, but, but I love businesses that also 
uh, solve the people problem in a way too. The fact that you, that that all these dairy producers and, and independent product producers are getting this this amazing sales channel kind of built out for them is is really impressive. I want us to talk a little bit more about ads and go back to this idea of you um, being pretty um, specific and targeted about the the geographic regions that you're looking to target here. I you know I've I you know in my experience you know when working for agencies or affiliate companies or things like that we're always looking for the broadest possible audience to drive the cost down essentially and find whenever you layer on more specific targets, geofences, things like that um, you, you, you find your costs go up a little bit. I was wondering if, you know, to, to speak a little bit about how you're using some of the digital platforms to target specific geographic audiences and whether you see that, uh, you know, raising your prices, uh, more than, than you'd expect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, Facebook best practices as be, as be broad and let the algorithm kind of do its work for you. And, and that's been sort of challenging for us because, um, the way we grow as has to be quite precise or we'll create kind of, if you think about a, a milk round, if you have 100 customers on one street and then one person 20 minutes away, it creates an, a really inefficient kind of operation. And it also creates issues for our drivers, which then leads to kind of service issues. So it comes back full circle. So we've done a couple, we've, we've done a couple different things to kind of try to get a baseline for Facebook and I think truthfully, it does make our acquisition costs higher on that channel, I think higher than they would be if, if we were kind of operating a traditional dropship e-commerce model. Um, but one of the, the interesting tests that we've run is um, we are, you know, we're opening up new areas that we service every day. Um, so to give you a kind of a concrete example, say we're opening up, you know, postcode one, two, three, um, we've actually, we've done some tests where we'll direct mail that postcode then send our kind of face-to-face -face agents in that postcode versus, um, you know, send, do kind of Facebook warm-up campaign in, in that market for maybe the two weeks before we, we accept orders in that postcode to generate awareness, then send leaflets in or direct mail in and then send kind of our, our face-to-face uh, sales force in. And we've actually seen a significant, you know, uplift from, from using that top of funnel strategy with Facebook and although, you know, we do have kind of internal attribution at play and although the, you know, the, the results are kind of still showing a CPA higher than probably where, we, where we'd like it to be and where we need it to be, it is creating that kind of overall halo effect that, that helps the other channels convert at a higher rate. So there's, there's more to trial in that space. And as we expand our footprint, we'll actually be able to broaden our audiences out as well, which, which should hopefully kind of make, make it a more cost-effective channel for us. Um, the other thing I'm really interested in, in, in is how we can you know, drive automation in our, in our bidding strategy. So when I kind of first joined the business and was, was poking around in our, in our um, ads manager, um, I kind of saw a bit of a mishmash of targeting and some postcodes we were targeting, some we weren't. So I thought like this is, it's a super manual process to kind of take a spreadsheet, upload all your postcodes in. And I've started thinking a lot around kind of opportunities for automation. So how do we kind of, you know, once we're setting up a new area in our backend, you know, use a tool like a, a Zapier to, you know, take those postcodes and automatically kind of upload them in, into a campaign. Um, or potentially do the same for areas and where we might have low utilities. So how do we then kind of drive that, those sectors into a campaign where we are potentially kind of, you know, retargeting users who've yet to use, use our service. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for, um, for scale, if we can reduce that manual process down. 
Um, and it's not just kind of me and the team <laughs> poking around in, in spreadsheets and exporting kind of postcode data back and forth. I've learned like so much of about UK geography in the last kind of six weeks. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's been one upside to the, to the role, but um, it, it does present its, its challenges for sure, but it also creates some unique opportunities for testing, which I'm, I'm really excited to, to, um, to kind of start trialing. I love that uh, idea that you know you can you can hit people in in stages and warm them up and, and at different levels. I love that. And in hearing you describe um, this, you know how the kind of Zapier like tools. It's funny we we build similar tools like that, and and by the end of it, we start looking at them like, oh, I guess this is this is a tool we could also sell. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, as you describe this way of doing this kind of of method that involves uh, boots on the ground and direct mail and Facebook. You know, once you build out the system, you could quickly find that oh wow, we have this this really great system for other you know. Know, local businesses or things that want to, to kind of scale in this fashion um, when you solve problems uh, good things happen so good luck on that absolutely nice and then so speaking of solving problems let's talk about your app a little bit because i know um that's that's obviously your, your website is very is, is super functional it feels like an app sort of when you're on it um and then uh you you've more recently launched an app how do you find the performance is versus people uh who who are what i mean to ask is do people who download the app stay longer buy more yeah it's really interesting we're, we're seeing probably you know majority of our transactions now coming through the app and i think um that's been that's been really purposeful and we've been driving a lot of app install activity to try to drive that adoption I, th I think because it is a you know subscription service and it is a high frequency order that um, we feel like if people are using the app it will be easier for them there are more opportunities for them to kind of explore the range and and increase their kind of basket value over time and there's pro and it's because it's easier to use inherently you know they will stay stickier so that has been a really kind of conscious strategy for us to drive um, app adoption but the, I think the web will all, always kind of play an important role as, as well, because we are kind of many of our customers, you know, might, might be less tech savvy or, you know, more used to shopping on a, online on a desktop, but we always want that option there. I also think from kind of an SEO perspective, having that, that content um, platform will be really key for us as we, as we start scaling out our organic efforts. Um, so, so the from a usability standpoint, you know, the app is is driving kind of you know more frequency and and um, stickiness, and it will it's it's kind of it's been interesting to trial you know different campaigns based on you know optimizing towards web purchase versus optimizing towards app install and you know, using using Apps Flyer and Google Analytics to try to understand you know the value of that and the relative CPA. Um, to try to make sure that the strategy is kind of underpinned with data as well. So do you drive, I'm just looking at your ads right here. Do you drive from ads to the app download or to the web or you're experimenting with both? Experimenting with both. Um, so we're at the moment, I'd say like 60% of our spend is focused around app install and the other 40 is, is around kind of purchase, um, you know, is, is around driving purchase on the web. And there have been kind of, um, Overall, the kind of CPAs for app install and the, the CPIs, the cost per installs, have been really competitive, um, and and you know it allowed us to kind of scale up our investment. The area that we need to kind of focus on is is how many people who install the app and sign up or give us their you know email then convert onto purchase, and and truthfully, that's one of our biggest areas for improvement. 
And that, that has a lot to do with kind of the tools that we have um, around kind of customer communication and CRM. So we're kind of bringing in a new tool to help, you know, really um, unleash our ability to activate customers and then you know, drive their lifetime value. Um, through through not only kind of email campaigns, but in-app messaging, you know, in-app notification, um, push notification, et cetera. So we think that will really open up a whole new channel for us as well to, to start driving that um, sign up to purchase conversion a bit higher, because that is a, you know, that is an area that that we know we need to improve on looking at the data. It's it's a big opportunity within within the funnel. I think we can the the proposition has mass appeal. Our, you know, our ads convert in terms of, of the, you know, conversion event, whether that's install or purchase, but how do we get people to then make that first purchase? That's where we, we need to focus our efforts over the next kind of three to six months and developing our app, developing our web, you know, looking at, at um, our user journeys and, and making them as kind of seamless as possible. Very cool. I wanted to, you know, one of the things we always ask about, uh, we're, we're using it on the agency side, like crazy with a lot of clients, um, SMS as a, as a customer acquisition channel, as a, as a way to get people, you know, to, to stay in touch with people in a really intimate way. Have you done much uh, with, with SMS with the modern milkman yet? We, we've only really used it for service notifications. So if we have, you know, potentially a product out of stock or something, you know, urgent that the customer needs to be made aware of, but with, you know, with our kind of, CRM strategy and and the new tool set that we're bringing in to to enable that SMS is definitely on the cards. Um, And one of the things we're interested to trial is around reminders. Um, So the key part of of making our whole kind of business model work is that people return their milk bottles to us because if they don't or, you know, they throw them out or they forget to, then, you know, we don't have as many milk bottles to refill and get out into our network. So we want to start kind of trialing preemptive messages around, you know, don't forget to, to leave your empties out or, you know, different ways to get the customer, you know, excited about their delivery as well. Um, you know, I was listening to, to the podcast this week that you had with, um, with Eli from Olipop and I really liked what he, what he said around you. Know, once you make that first order, there's like this dead period of communication before the customer kind of gets their goods so how do you use the tools at your disposal to make the most of that period? And, and for me, that is all around how we get people, if it's their first time, to, to understand how the process works and understand what to expect. If it's their second or third time, to you know, remind them how to, how to keep everything running smoothly, putting their empties out, topping up their order, remembering their order deadlines, all of that stuff, which if we do it well, I think we'll drive LTV and drive the average order value of our customers as well. Nice. Uh, you mentioned how the website would be, you know, long-term, a really important part of your organic strategy. Um, I'm curious how, how has your, what, what does your SEO strategy look like? like? What are you sort of optimizing the modern milkman to be discoverable for and content wise? That's a great question. So the, there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. So truthfully, it's not kind of previously to me kind of joining the business. It's not been a massive focus. Um, more so out of kind of resource and, and um, in, you know, internal capacity. So as I've come on, one of, one of the key areas I'm focused on is, is first technical best practice. Um, so we're getting, you know, a full technical audit of the site to, you know, clean up all of the low hanging fruit that, that is there around kind of metadata, um, canonical tags, you know, site structure and, and linking all of that stuff that, you know, is, is less sexy, but very important to kind of building your SEO foundations. And then, you know, after that, there's there's the obvious kind of you know keywords that are really relevant to our proposition around you know milk delivery, 
local milk delivery, um, milk delivery services. So those are the kind of bread and butter commercial terms that I think will be really useful for us and important part of the strategy. But beyond that, one of the, the kind of key differentiators for us is the brand and is the focus around plastic reduction um, and sustainability. So how do we become thought leaders around you know, how, how everyday um, Britons can save more plastic and reduce their plastic consumption, but do that in a way that they kind of feel excited and feel, you know, feel energized by that. Because, you know, one of the things that we've found is people are kind of feeling disheartened about all of the environmental challenges. And, you know, we, the, the media, the news stories are, are always pretty negative. And as a consumer, you kind of feel like I'm to blame for this, or I've got, you know, um, I, what about the big companies that are wasting all this, you know, plastic and burning fossil fuels? And we, we don't want customers to feel that way. We want people to feel like this is an easy, fun, accessible choice they can make. Um, and we want them to tell their kind of neighbors and friends about it. So that tone of voice will be really important um, to, to the content strategy as well. And, and making sure the, the search terms that we are visible for kind of relate to more around lifestyle, more around kind of everyday choices people can make. I think plastic free living is a is a is a good niche in this space because it's such a visceral Definitely. thing. You can see what your impact is in your recycle bin. You know, my daughter, I have a seven year old daughter. She came home from her school the other day and she was learning about protests. And she told me that the world has seven years before it becomes too uninhabitable to live. And, and I was like, like I'm like, like my, <laughs> like my daughter needs another reason to be anxious, given all that's going yeah. on in the world right now. And, and to me, that's just, the, you know, be, true or not, it's a real, it's a really esoteric threat. It's a really hard to conceive of thing. Whereas with plastic, you know what you're, you know, you can do better. Everyone knows they can do better when they look, my recycle bin is just being picked up right now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I know that I can do better with that. And so I think it's a really great niche because it is such a, a visceral thing that people really easily understand and feel like they can make an impact on. Absolutely. I, th I think you hit the nail on the head and it is actually a line we've used in some of our copy and marketing to say that, you know, it'll feel great when you don't have to, you know, drag your recycling bin out or when you see that the recycling bin, bin isn't as full as it used to be. So you've, you've completely described that feeling that we're trying to create for people. Um, and ultimately, like, we do know those bigger problems exist and we do want to be part of that solution and look at kind of even, you know, further disruption in, in our, uh, the way we kind of work with dairy farmers and, and our entire um, kind of business model. But we also know this is a really, you know, easy but impactful place to start. Nice. Um, so I know you went to school in the States. Um, I'm wondering if you, was Marks and Spencer a UK experience or a US experience? UK experience. So I'm I I'm from the US originally. I'm from Buffalo, New York. For any any chicken wing aficionados yep. listening to the podcast, I've been to the Anchor um, Bar, home of the wing. Home Fantastic. Of the wing. They invented the chicken wing. Exactly. I saw Buffalo on there. I knew that. But I wanted to ask if you'd had any difference, you know, in your marketing to people in the UK versus the US, and whether there are any yeah. any top line differences there. Yeah, that's it's a really good point. I think the. The UK is a little less, I think the UK customer and the UK kind of tone of voice in terms of, of marketing is a little less over the over the head, sale, sale, sale than the US. I think um, the sort of, the more, what's the best way to phrase this? I think the more direct kind of punchy convert now, 
buy now, sell now, you know, sale, sale, sale works really well for the U.S. consumer. And I also think U.S. retail, and this was an interesting learning at M&S, like, is very discount focused, whereas, you know, the U.K. has and, you know, European kind of market has become more discount focused as it's been impacted by, you know, the growth in Black Friday and the growth in that kind of customer expectation around discount. Mm -hmm. But I think inherently, you know, people, the history is much more based around like you understand the true value of a product and you pay a fair price. Um, and I think there it's in the UK, it's much more, I think about the, the soft sell and you know, customers and people are, are probably a little less direct as well. And a little less, um, you know, not unwilling to try new things, but I do think, you know, they are more kind of homogenous countries in Europe as well than, than the U S. So I think inherently, you know, trends, most of the trends that are being picked up there are, are coming from the U.S. to start with. Um, so I think it does just take some time for people to get comfortable with new ideas and, and concepts as well. Um, but I, I do think for me, one of the, the biggest differences looking back on my career is that kind of promotional cycle and cadence. And you you look at, um, you know, some of the big you know, women's wear retailers in the U.S. and there's a constant cycle of promotion Whereas in the UK that and until kind of recently, and now a lot of brands are pivoting, you know, sharply away from that discount drug and focus. Um, you see, you know, very kind of different approach to, to keeping, to keeping, um, you know, the frequency of, of your, your purchases high. Nice. nice. Okay. So you've recently raised, maybe, I don't actually, I don't know how recently, but you raised 6.8 million in series A. Congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you. What are your plans for the rest of 2021 in terms of where the, it, the whatever's earmarked for marketing in there, what, what are your plans to, to deploy that? Absolutely. So I think the first port of call is, is team. Um, so the, I've inherited a really kind of fantastic offline marketing team, but the online team definitely needs to scale um, as well as kind of resource for conversion rate optimization and, and digital analytics. So the, a lot of that kind of funding across the business is around, you know, scaling people and bringing capacity into the team. There's also a lot around product innovation. So um, we won't introduce a product into the range if it's not plastic free and kind of meeting our, our requirements there. Um, but that means in, in many cases we have to go out and, and develop um, you know, new solutions for things that might not be kind of as easy to sell um, plastic free. So that, that's another area of kind of investment for us. Um, and also I think the, the tools and technology to power our next stage of growth. So you know, our, our app and our web um, have, have been a really strong base for us to grow on, but we know we need to, to you know, constantly improve and iterate those, you know, those platforms as the kind of, you know wet the, the um, storefront, if you like, of our brand, we need to invest in, in improving those user journeys. So that will be a really key focus for us as well, but primarily people. Um, and then, and then as, you know, budget for experimentation as well, there's a lot of channels that, that we need to start kind of um, testing and scaling, and we need to take a few punts. And luckily the kind of the team of the modern Milkman, as I said, has, has um, an, a, a high kind of a high appetite for growth, but also an understanding that, you know, not every bet you make wins, but we need mm. to, we need to kind of make a lot of bets to deliver the ambition that the business has. So that will be, that'll be really exciting. Just get to spend a lot of cash, but spend it in a smart way and, and, and learn from it. That, that will be the important piece. 
I think you need your milkies to become TikTok stars and then they can just do that? TikToks as they're doing their deliveries. And that's you know, a very that, good idea. That's the hottest. My other idea for you, and I don't know if you can implement it, would be to keep a track of, of the amount of plastic based on the orders that people have, the amount of plastic that each of your customers is, is like saving and be able to sort of present that to them. Uh, at some point in their customer journey to be like, hey, look, by the way, with what you've bought from us, you've saved this much plastic or something. That that might work. It, it is a good idea. And actually, if we've, we've just wired that kind of calculation of how to tie a customer's orders into, you know, turn it into a calculation around plastic saved. So, um, we're, we're, that's definitely on the radar for us because we want, we, we want people to feel that kind of tangible change they're making. So it is a very good suggestion. And when we launch that feature, I will, I'll drop you a note. <laughs> nice. Fantastic. Can you name a couple other D2C brands that you're a fan of that you sort of watch either from the, either from the marketing standpoint or just from a personal standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. I think from, from a marketing standpoint, um, I've always been, you know, really excited by brands that have, are really sure about who their customer are and very kind of targeted in terms of their customer product fit. And for me, um, I love Away, the kind of suitcase brand. I think they were one of the first brands to, you know, they're obviously a D2C darling, but they're one of those brands that really um, captured that kind of ethos of the traveling lifestyle, created really functional product that that served a purpose and helped people kind of travel more easily, but also were really strong in their content strategy, um, in their partnerships, um, and how they kind of inspired their customers as well. And um, if you've kind of put me on the spot, I should have thought about <laughs> that. Thought about this. That's a good one. They, they must have been hurting this past year. I imagine a way like yeah. any luggage company I'm, has probably taken a quite a ding in the past year. I imagine they they were, um, and I'm I'm a fan of a lot of the the kind of health brands that have popped up, um, so kind of vitamin nutrition kind of supplement brands that have again kind of taken an area that there's been a, you know have disrupted an area that was previously you'd kind of go to your health food store, um, just see what was on the shelf, not really think about it, and now the kind of trend around personalizing personalizing your health um, has become you know. I think really exciting. And, and there's a brand in the UK that does kind of 3D printed personalized um, vitamin gummies. And I love that concept because I think you're, it's, it's one-to-one personalization at scale, um, but also, you know, really their whole, their entire proposition is really sustainable. The packaging is compostable um, because everything's, you know, the way they kind of send it through your letterbox just fits in a super slim kind of envelope. So limited carbon footprint, um, and then there's the added kind of health benefit you get from taking uh, a supercharged personalized vitamin. So I, I love I love brands that you know not only disrupt in terms of their marketing but the product itself. Um, and you know there's a million and one kind of fashion brands out there that have you know slick Shopify websites and and great kind of um, paid media strategies. But what really excites me is when when brands are able to kind of fundamentally bring a new proposition to the table and also do it in a way that's smarter and uh, more sustainable than anyone else who's kind of done it before them. That's great insights. A friend of mine is just starting a, a DNA test into nutritional and vitamin supplements and things like that. And I just think it's such a, such a clever way to re to, to reignite an entire space. Um, and as you say, that one-to-one customization at scale 
what's not to love about that model. So I think that's a great thing. I'm glad I put you on the spot because you, you came up with some good ones there. Uh, nice. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Henya. If people want to get in touch with you or the modern milkman, how do you suggest they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just drop me an email. It's it's Henya at the modern milkman.co.uk. You can kind of, there's more and more exciting news articles and press around the business. So watch the spaces. Uh, and also if you're in the UK and, and looking for opportunities, I'm trying to build out um, a stellar growth team. So get in touch if, if you're listening and you want a crack at, at what we're trying to build. I'd love to hear more. And, and yeah, would, would love people's kind of feedback and, um, you know, ideas. I, my kind of my sort of ethos and what I've said to the team is good ideas come from every, anywhere and everywhere. And as we are, we're, we work in a kind of growth testing sprint model and we open up those sprints to the entire business because I think, you know, the next best um, growth idea or growth hack, uh, if you want to call it that, can really come from anywhere. So, yeah, it's been great to be on the show. Thank you so much, Eric. As I said, huge fan. So delighted to, to get to chat with you today. Well, we will have to have you back uh, in, you know, maybe maybe Q4 and we can talk about uh, your growth goals and, and how it's all gone. Absolutely. Hopefully with some exciting, more exciting stories to tell. Awesome. And okay. KPIs that we've smashed along the way. Love to hear it. Okay. Keep listening and we'll uh, catch you again soon. Thanks, Eric. Have a good one. You too. Bye. You heard the man. Go to directtoconsumer.co right now and subscribe to our twice a week newsletter.